Let's take our Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, chapter number 3 in your Bibles this morning. I have uh, this so far in the early part of this year. I have found myself uh, drawn to the subject of insecurity and uh, in a changing world. Uh, I'm glad Jesus Christ never changes. The world may change, but he never changes. But I've been drawn to this subject of insecurity in a changing world and specifically the insecurity that Christians can sometimes feel uh, when the world changes and becomes adamantly uh, opposed to Christianity. We, we, um, uh, if we have uh, made use of news sources that make us aware of persecution of the Christian uh, peoples in different countries, we know that this is, a, uh, this is a, a time in history when Christians are being put to death at alarming rates in various parts of the world. There are places where Christians uh, are being persecuted and executed. A pastor was just executed just, I believe, within the last week, week and a half that I saw in the news this week. And um, because he wouldn't renounce his faith in Jesus Christ. In some parts of the world, there is great physical uh, persecution. In other parts of the world, there is emotional persecution because of being ridiculed and, and, and mocked for beliefs. We live in a world where it is uh, something that Christians have to deal with. They have to be aware of. And make sure that they do not become in their own minds victims uh, of the changing world and the uh, situations of the world in which we live. So the subject of, of, uh, of insecurity has, uh, has kind of been rattling around in my brain. Uh, last Sunday morning we were looking at Second Timothy and uh, we focused on, on the man that the letter was sent to. A man by the name of Timothy. And uh, Timothy was a younger pastor um, uh, younger in comparison to his mentor, the Apostle Paul. Paul is at the end of his ministry. He's in Rome in a dungeon. Uh, it is not the imprisonment that is recorded at the end of the book of Acts. Uh, he asked to go to Rome at the end of the book of Acts. He was vindicated because he had done nothing wrong. He was not a criminal. He was released. He traveled and preached and evangelized and planted churches for yet a period of time that is not, that is after the book of Acts ends. But then the world changed and Nero uh, began to put Christians to death. And so those who were the leaders had big bullseyes on their back. Paul was arrested. He is now a criminal against the Roman government. He has now, is, he's, a, um, he's a, uh, a leader amongst uh, of an illegal religion in the Roman Empire. So now he is, he is a criminal. Uh, he is going to be executed. His life will end uh, in this Roman dungeon in, in the city of Rome. And, uh, and his son in the faith, Timothy, sees all of this happening and he's afraid. He has become timid. He has become insecure. He doesn't know what the future is going to hold. And so God used the Apostle Paul to send him this letter. It opens up with timid, with Timothy, timid, insecure. And it ends, as we looked on Wednesday night, just in a few short devotional thoughts, Wednesday night focused on the Apostle Paul in the last chapter, chapter 4. We see this letter that opens up with a insecure, timid Timothy ends with a lonely, cold 
Apostle Paul, who has been abandoned by many of his of his Christian friends in this dangerous world it had become. Uh, he is hurt to the core of his being because one in particular who had been one of his key uh, lead workers that, that, that traveled with him and worked with him had fallen in love with this present world and had turned his back on his mentor, the Apostle Paul, having loved this present world, the Bible says. And he's hurt. He's lonely. He's cold. He's abandoned. But yet he never lost faith. He ends chapter 4 by recognizing that Jesus Christ has stood with him and would deliver him. Now, he wasn't going to get delivered from jail the way some people would think deliverance from jail means. He was going to be delivered from this whole world. And he was going to be ushered into the presence of Jesus Christ. And he ended with great victory, with great uh, faith and courage in Jesus Christ. But that did not eliminate his loneliness. And he was cold in this dungeon facing a bitter winter in Italy. And he doesn't have hardly any friends left. And so we see, the, we see these two extremes here where these two individuals, a young preacher, an old preacher, a timid, shy, insecure preacher that, that has kind of quieted down a little bit perhaps in his preaching and, and on the other, other end, the other bookend, we have, this, we have this older preacher about ready to go on to glory with great faith in Jesus Christ, victorious to the end, but lonely and cold and hurt by those who have rejected and abandoned him. But the cream's in the middle. In between these two individuals, God has given us some amazing instruction on how to be victorious in a changing world. How to, uh, how to not be like Timothy, but be more like Paul and be courageous and victorious. Even if you're lonely and even if you're cold and even if you're abandoned, to be courageous and victorious Knowing that if everyone else turns their back on you, Jesus Christ will never turn his back on you. Amen. He will stand with you and he will deliver you and he yet doth deliver you. We want to be more like Paul in our changing world. And we want to be less like Timothy's in our changing world. And so the cream in the middle is, is how to bridge, how to go from one to the other. It's how to be like Paul in a changing world. World, How is God going to use this lonely old preacher to encourage Timothy to man up and lead Christianity to new heights in a changing world? Well, that's what we want to take a glance at this morning. We just briefly skimmed it at the end of last week as we looked at the commands that God gives through Paul to Timothy some some important commands that we need to be aware of. Uh, there's one in each chapter. In chapter 1, be bold. In chapter 2, be strong. In chapter 3, 
Don't cave. And in chapter 4, proclaim truth. Four commands. Very important commands that enable Christians to, to end well in spite of a changing world. Now, last week the message emphasized that first chapter in encouraging Timothy to be bold, not timid and shy and insecure. And he could be bold by recognizing he had great potential. God had shaped him for such a time as this. God had equipped him and, and given him, uh, developed his character, his, his personality, uh, had gifted him with spiritual gifts. Timothy was prepared for such an hour as this. Realize your potential. Then lean on your mentors. God has given you good mentors that can help you deal with the struggles that you're dealing with, Timothy. So we, we, we focus on the first chapter. I want you to look at these three commands in chapters 2, 3, and 4. Notice with me in chapter 2, verse number 1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Chapter 2 is all about being strong, having strength. Uh, man up, be strong. Yes, you're facing a changing world. Yes, it's a difficult hour. Yes, there are dangers. But man up and be strong. That was the advice, the counsel that God gave through the Apostle Paul. He said in verse number 1, be strong. And in verse number 2, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. We could say strength is seen in the influence you have on other people. He said, Timothy, be strong, man up. Be strong and influence other people. Pass on what you've learned. Make sure other people learn what you've learned in your life. The things that I've taught you, Timothy, I'm leaving. I'm going to be executed. I won't be here anymore. The things that I've taught you, Timothy, make sure you pass that on to some other people. Find some people that will be faithful and then mentor them the way I mentored you. Influence people with your life. You know, in a changing world and difficult days, Christian people will end well if we will man up and influence people. Man up and influence people. I'm, I'm to be strong. He said you're to be strong like a soldier is strong in verse number four. Verse number three and four. Man up like a soldier. He said in verse number five, man up like, a, like an athlete mans up. And in verse number six, he said, man up like a farmer mans up. He used three illustrations, a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. And each one teaches a different aspect, a different facet of strength. Each of them are important. And Paul says to Timothy, you need to be strong. And influence others. Like a soldier, don't get too encumbered with the things of this world. Because when a soldier goes off to war, he doesn't worry about paying his rent. He doesn't wonder where his food's coming from. He doesn't have to go shopping for clothes. When he's sent off to war, the country that sent him off to war cares for all of his needs. So he can focus on the job that he was sent to do. 
And God said, man up like a soldier. Don't get too tied to this world. You're not going to be here very much longer. 80, 90, 100 years. If you're really, really blessed with good genes, maybe 100 years, you're not going to be here much longer. Don't get too tied down. You're going to be on the other side for millions of years. Enjoying the fruit of the labor you exerted in this short little period of time we call life on earth. You're going to be with Jesus Christ in heaven a whole lot longer than you're going to be in this world. So don't get too tied down. This world's not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Don't get too tied down. Be like a soldier. Be strong like a soldier. Don't get too tied down to this present world. Be strong like an athlete. An athlete that, that, that competes in an athletic competition and, and wins the medal will have that medal stripped from him if he doesn't keep the rules. When they find out what he was putting into his body, they'll strip him of his metal. If they find out he broke the rules, he'll lose what he earned. God says, be strong like, a, like an athlete is strong. Obey the rules. Do what God told you to do. Obey the instructions of God. Be strong like an athlete. And be strong like a farmer. Farmer works hard. Hard work being a farmer. You know one of the blessings of being a farmer? You eat well. <laughs> you eat well. You enjoy the fruit of your labor. Be strong like a farmer. Serve God. Give it your best. To pour your life into your service for Jesus Christ. And enjoy what comes out of that kind of a life. The relationships that you build. The people you know. The, the blessings of longevity, generations after generations, because you did a good job serving God. Now sit back and enjoy the product of your labor. You see, Paul said, Timothy, you need to be strong and influence others. Be strong like a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. And always remember that Jesus Christ has already won the battle. In verse number 8, he says... Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead, according to my gospel, wherein I suffer trouble as an evil, uh, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even under bonds. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Jesus has already won the battle. He's already conquered death. He rose from the grave. He guarantees our resurrection and eternal life. He's already won. Remember, we're in victory. We're not trying to find out who wins. We serve in victory. So be strong. Man up. Influence others. And never forget that the battle's already won. One. Well, that's the instruction of chapter 2. Turn with me to chapter 3. Now, chapter 3 is an entirely different command, but a very important command. Chapter 3 tells us that, uh, that we live in perilous times. At least they were perilous times when this was pinned. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. And he described them. Timothy, you need to understand you live in a changing world Perilous times. What are perilous times? What behavior earns 
God's label of perilous times. Well, we don't have to wonder. Verse number two tells us that perilous times are these. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Have we ever seen, at least in our lifetime, a more narcissistic time in our world? Men shall be lovers of their own selves. People are in love with themselves. They focus on themselves. It's all about themselves. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. Covetous. People are never satisfied with what they got. They've got to have something more. Got to have something bigger and better. Got to have the next one. Always wanting something they don't have. Never satisfied with what they already have. Always got to have something else. Boasters. Proud. Blasphemers. Have you ever seen more blasphemy against God? We've come a long way from the day where the the Jewish people would not even pronounce the name of their God. They even when they wrote it down, they left out the vowels so you couldn't say it for fear that they might say it with just a tinge of irreverence and become guilty. Of blaspheming the name of God. We've come a long way from that. How many of we as Christian people throw out the title Lord in common language and talk? Oh Lord this and oh Lord that. How many of us use the name and the titles of God in common language? Speech that is not directing praise and glory to the one that we name. Blasphemers. Disobedient to parents. Do you watch kids in public places when parents tell them what to do and the kids could care less what their parents tell them what to do? Do you watch children? Do you see parents speak to a child and the child totally ignore their parents and do whatever they want to do. And so the parent says it again and says it again and says it again and raises the voice and says it again. Disobedient to parents. Unthankful. Never lived in a day where people are less grateful to the ones who provide for them, take care of them. Unholy, without natural affection. There is affection that is natural from the created order. And there is affection that goes outside the bounds of what is natural in the created order. Truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, which simply means lacking self-control, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, 
heady, high-minded. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Sports arenas are oftentimes packed while church buildings often have lots of room. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Now, God said these are the characteristics of perilous times. Do we become so accustomed to such behavior that we don't view it as perilous? And yet God calls it perilous times. But what I'm interested in is what do we, how do we react to those times? Do we just go along to get along? Do we sometimes get tired of being out of step? With the runs around us who have become accustomed to perilous times? Shall we just cave in and go with the flow? Well, verse number five tells us. Having a form of godliness, denying the power thereof from from such turn away. From such turn away. that's That's the heart of it. Turn away from that. Don't cave into that. Don't become accustomed to that. Don't give in to that. Don't go along to get along. Don't become comfortable with perilous times and just, it's just life as normal. Withdraw from that. Don't cave in. Don't become like the world because the world just suffocates your morals and your, 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 relationship with God. Don't go along to get along. Withdraw thyself. Don't cave in. Stand up. This is the command that God gives. Now notice in verse number in verse number 10, Paul said, thou hast fully known. And then he lists the things you know about me. You know what Paul was saying? Paul was saying, perilous times. Don't cave into them. I didn't. Don't cave in to perilous times. I didn't cave in. You have fully known my doc, my doctrine. You, you know what I believe. What I believe hasn't changed any. You know what I believe. You know my manner of life, how I've lived my life. You know what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my confidence in God. You know my long suffering that, that I, I can keep on keeping on doing right in spite of opposition. You know my charity. I care about people. You know my patience that I endure. You know my persecutions, my afflictions. And then he, then he highlighted, he said, you know, you know my persecutions and afflictions that came on me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. You'll hear more about those tonight. Out of them all, the Lord delivered me. You know what Paul was saying? Paul was saying we don't have to cave in to our changing world. We don't have to change because of our changing world. We don't have to lose ground because of our changing world. We we, we don't have to go along to get along. We can withdraw, not in the sense of, of becoming a hermit, Leaving society, but in our heart and our way of thinking and in, in, in our in our way we live our lives, we don't have to become what they are. 
we can withdraw and stand and do right in spite of a changing world around us. He said, I did. I stood strong. Right to the very end, chapter 4 will say, you know me, Timothy, you know the testimony of my life. I stood strong. Now, I want you to see something that's powerful here. This is a, this is a, a, um, a clarion call to dads and moms. The Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, and in chapter 1, he reminded Timothy that he was a third-generation Bible believer. He was a third-generation Bible believer. Paul said, I, I know uh, the purity of your faith, which was in your grandma and in your mom and now in you. And, and so he, he talks about that in verse 14. Look at verse 14. Chapter 3, verse 14. But, but, withdraw thyself. Don't cave in. But instead of caving in, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. I love this. This is powerful. I want you to look carefully at those phrases. Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. And has been assured of. This is, a, this is a clarion call to parents to make sure that in the days that they raise their children. Verse 14 goes on to say, knowing of whom thou hast learned them and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. This is a call to parents that from the time your kids are just little Little rugrats scurrying around, crawling around the floor. From their little childhood, teach them the Word of God. They have to, they have to learn. But they have to go beyond learning. They have to become assured of that which they have learned. You realize it's one thing to learn something... It's another thing for that which you've learned to become such a part of you in the core of your being that I know, that I know, that I know, that I know, that I know this is true. I am assured of this. My, my parents taught me from a child. I have learned it. And I'm sure of it. And so... Now, as an adult, Timothy was encouraged. Continue in that. Continue in that. Which you learned and were assured of. People are talking about Aaron Rodgers. Quarterback of the Green Bay Packers. Because just in recent weeks it came out that uh, he was born and raised in a Christian family. And... Uh, and now has gone public renouncing his any belief in Christianity. And Rogers, now 36 years of age, said most people that I knew, church was just, he just had to go. That, that, that ought to grab the ear of every parent. They raised him in church. And now he denies anything about God. He heard it 
But he didn't become assured of the reality of it. I don't know how you can believe in a God who wants to condemn most of the planet to a fiery hell. What type of loving, sensitive, omnipresent, omnipotent being wants to condemn his beautiful creation to a fiery hell at the end of all this? Religion can be a crutch. It can be something that people have to have to make themselves feel better. Do my children learn or do they learn and become assured this is real? Somewhere in Adrian Rogers' life, in his mind, in his heart, he heard things with his ears, but they never reached the depth of his being as a person. He did not understand the character of God. He missed an experience by which God invaded his life and changed him by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. So he grew up in a Christian home learning but never becoming assured. And now as an adult, he acknowledges he doesn't believe in God. How could anyone believe in the God he was taught about when he was a child? This is a call to moms and dads, Sunday school teachers, parents and grandparents. Our children must not only hear with their ears, They must see a vibrant, robust Christianity seven days a week at home that causes them to realize this isn't a put on. This isn't a fakery. This isn't a Sunday deal. This is who my dad is. This is who my mom is. This is real. Young people must grow up seeing a robust Christianity modeled seven days a week that enables them to buy into it, to be assured of it, to know in the core of their being, God is real. I've seen Him at work in our family. God is real. He's a part of us. He is who we are. Don't cave in. Continue. In what your mom and dad taught you all your life. That you not only learned, but you became sure of. Because from a child, you learned the Holy Scriptures. You learned those Holy Scriptures were capable of making you wise unto salvation. He understood truth. He understood his own sinfulness, his own Impending judgment. He understood the love and the mercy of God that would suffer that punishment in his place, that would go to that hell for him, that would endure the judgment of a holy God in his place. And he became wise unto salvation. Now you know this was real to your dad and mom. So I'm encouraging you to continue in what you saw modeled in front of you all your life at home.
and you've found out that the Word of God that they taught you and that they modeled, that Word of God was, was profitable. Verse 16 tells us it was profitable for doctrine, that is, believing the right thing. It was profitable for correction, that is, correcting the wrong thing to believe. It was profitable for instruction in righteousness. It taught you how to live holy lives. It was profitable for reproof that corrected your behavior when you were unholy. The Word of God will tell you what to believe and what not to believe. How to live and how not to live. And it's profitable. And in the end, it will leave you thoroughly furnished unto every good work. Continue in that. Don't cave to a world that has pitted itself against God. Hold on to what the older generation modeled in front of you. It was just in the news. I guess I saw it on Facebook. Thank you, Hannah. I think it, I think I saw it from something you had uh, had shared or liked or something. Cottage Grove Church in Twin Cities. Cottage Grove Church in Twin Cities had a rude awakening uh, just a few weeks ago. They found out that their church was being shut down in June. Why is it being shut down in June? Because everyone in the church, not everyone, but the majority of the church was 60 years of age and older. The majority of the church was 60 years of age and older. It wasn't a big church. It was a small church. They couldn't even afford a full-time pastor. And so they had, they were maintaining the life of their church without a full-time pastor. And men in the church and people in the church were, and they were keeping the church going. But word came down that we're going to shut the church down in June. We're going to reopen it in November. As a church for young adults. And we don't want any of you people that are currently in the church to come to the reopened church in November. You are not to come. We are going to open up a young church for young adults with a youthful vigor that will cause young adults to want to be there. And all you people 60 years of age or older, don't come in November when we reopen it. You can come back in 2022 if you meet with the pastor at that time and plan out how you'll come back and if you can come back. Does that kind of sound like 2 Timothy 3? To embrace the vision of your elders. Young adults, embrace the vision of your elders, what they taught you, what you saw them model. Continue thou in the vision of your elders that lived their Christianity in front of you? Or does that sound like a newfangled way of doing church? Let's can all the elders. Let's get rid of all the white heads and the gray heads. Your presence will cause young adults that come to visit to not want to come back. Your presence will keep us from relaunching our new vision of the new Cottage Grove Church. That doesn't sound like what I read in my Bible. What I read is 
you young adults, teenagers, those in the 20s, those of you in the 30s, continue thou in the things which you heard Saul modeled by your parents' generation. Continue in them. Carry forward that vision to another generation. Don't reject them and their convictions and what they modeled in front of you for something changed and different. Don't cave in. Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. There's one last command. He said, be strong. Man up. Be strong. Knowing Jesus Christ has already won the victory. He said, don't cave. Don't cave to a changing world. The word of God hadn't changed. It still will tell you what to believe, what not to believe, how to live and how not to live. Don't cave in. Continue. And then finally, in chapter 4, he said, I charge thee, therefore. Verse number 2, preach the word. The word. Proclaim the word. Proclaim the truth. I gave you in your little worksheet there, the, the little outline for, for you. There's lots to chew on. But let me just step through the outline. The solemnity of the charge is in verse number one. He didn't just start in verse two with the command. He prefaced the command by saying, I am giving this command. I am charging you before God. And before the Lord Jesus Christ, and he happens to be the one that is going to judge all the quick and the dead, the living and the dead at his appearing. When he comes back, he's going to judge the dead and the living when he establishes his kingdom. And in his presence, with his full approval and awareness, I'm commanding you, proclaim truth to this changing world. Don't change truth. Don't renounce truth. Continue and proclaim it to a changed world. It was a solemn charge. But notice also what, what it involved. It involved the substance of it. What am I to proclaim? The word of God. What the Bible says. Not what I think. Not what the popular opinion has voiced. That we don't believe that anymore. That's just an old archaic book. Times have changed. Or like someone who used to attend here told one of our members here, this church needs to get off some of the things that it believes. Times have changed. The Bible needs to be rewritten and revised because it says some things in it that sociologically and in our world today we know is no longer viable. So we need to change the Bible because we're not going to change our beliefs. Well, preach the word. We have the substance of the command. What to proclaim the word of God. When do I proclaim it? In season and out of season. When it's popular and when it's not popular. When you'll be patted on the back for believing that. And when you'll be laughed for believing that. When you'll be encouraged. And when you'll be discouraged 
from believing that. When am I to proclaim truth? When it's in season and when it's out of season. The word of God doesn't change. And so I'm to proclaim the truth. How do I proclaim it? I'm to proclaim it with reproof, rebuke, and exhort. You know, those are strong words. We're told this is not the day of preaching. We just need to sit down and have coffee together and talk about it. Proclaim truth, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. This is how we're to proclaim truth. This is important stuff. We're supposed to proclaim it with authority. Paul told Titus that. He said in Titus, uh, to Titus, he said, you're to preach this truth. Let no man despise thee. Let no man think little of thee because of the truth that you proclaim. How am I to proclaim it? With strength, with authority, not unkindness, not with meanness or rudeness. With love, speak the truth in love. But there's no give and take here. There is no give and take. When God says something, the give and take is gone. It's just this is what God says. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. And then finally, why? Why do we have to do this? Verse number three says the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Paul said the time's going to come when people aren't going to like sound doctrine. They'll probably, they'll probably go find somebody else to listen to. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall heap to themselves, te- te- uh, themselves teachers. After their own desires, what I want, what I want to hear. I'm going to go find me a preacher that makes me feel better about myself. I'm going to find me a preacher that tells me what I think we ought to believe. Now, he ends the verse by saying having itching ears. The itching ears are not on the head of Timothy, who is receiving this. The itching ears are on the heads of the people who won't listen to him preach. That's what it's modifying. In other words, you you could... Here's... but, But they... Uh, the time will come when they, because they have itching ears, will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust. They, 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 wanna, they want you to tickle their ears. They want a preacher that will tickle their ears. They want a preacher that will make them feel good about themselves. They want a preacher who will tell them what they want to hear. Their, their ears are itching for someone to tell them what they want. So they won't endure sound doctrine. They'll go find them a different teacher. So what do I do? I proclaim truth. I don't change because my world's changed. I don't change because of what the courts say. I don't change because the law has been revised. I don't change because it's not popular anymore to be an old-fashioned, fundamental Baptist in a world that's changed. You realize when I grew up, the largest church in every major city in America was a fundamental independent Baptist church. The largest church in every major city was a fundamental independent Baptist church. My world's changed. So do I change 
because it's not in season anymore? No. I realize that as the world changes, I have to be strong. I have to not cave in. I have to proclaim truth even when it's not popular anymore. But I've got to do it with love and kindness, with warmth, with a heart that cares for people. And sometimes preachers have done a bad job on that side of things. I don't want to be on the wrong side of that. I want to be on the right side of that. God give me strength and help and you people holding me accountable. An older generation is continually passing the torch to a younger generation. Every young generation needs to receive a healthy, robust, holy Christianity. And that requires that each generation is teaching their children at home and modeling a genuine, robust, holy Christianity to their children. And young adults need to embrace that vision. Take that robust Christianity and own it. Knowing of whom thou hast learned these things. Not separating from my mentors, but leaning on my mentors. Deriving strength as I refuse to cave, but proclaim the truth to my generation. Parents, how you doing? Modeling. A robust, holy Christianity such that your children not only learn it, but they are assured that it's the real deal because of what it's done in your life. And younger generation, how are you doing in honoring your elders, looking up to your mentors? If you don't understand something, not rejecting it, but sitting down with your mentors... And asking them why. And then carrying the vision of a robust Christianity to your generation. That they might hear the truth of Jesus Christ. Our world's changed. We don't have to. We can be bold, be strong, not cave, and proclaim truth. Until the day that we, like Paul, lays down the sword and says, I've, I've run the race. I've finished my course. I'm ready to go be with Jesus Christ. And in his absence, he wanted to leave a robust, holy, vibrant Christianity. Being led by Timothy, one of his mentors, or one of his pro, one of his sons in the faith, that would carry on in his absence. God, help us not to be insecure, but to be strong, knowing Jesus has already won the victory.